Today's teaching text comes from 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 2 through 6. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor promoted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There seems to be little doubt that we will look back on 2020 as a year unlike any we have experienced before. The the pandemic introduced us to challenges and languages, constraints and opportunities, pain and grief, um, and a disruption to the rhythms of our life that we're still coming to grips with. For many of us, it was a a time of great stress. Um, For many, there was also great loss. uh, for some, there was a chance to to re-examine things that we have taken for granted in, in our life. And uh, never before as a culture have we spoken more about getting back to normal, even if normal wasn't something that we could easily pinpoint or we were sure we wanted to return to in the same way. And so as we begin to emerge from this lockdown portion of the pandemic, um, there are, are many uh, realities that are facing us mentally, uh, physically, spiritually, emotionally. Um, our work, our, our, our lives together, our families are all, are all impacted. And at times like this, it's really important to remember the holistic nature of our faith. Uh, living as a follower of Jesus means that there's no part of our lives that is not shaped by the love and direction of God. So. Whatever you are facing in your post-pandemic world, uh, you're not alone, and you're you're not expected to figure it all out on your own. Um, God is not somehow concerned just for your spiritual health um, to the exclusion of your physical and emotional health. God's not really hoping that you'll make time to read your Bible um, and is not interested in the stress of you looking for work or feeling lonely or feeling anxious in some way. Uh, Any of the other challenges we may be facing are near to God's heart. And I think one of the most helpful and inspiring parts of Scripture is that all parts of our life are are dealt with. Uh, The gospel of Jesus is not just about faith, hope, and love. It's also about our work. It's about endurance. It's about our well-being. And this letter uh, to the church at Thessalonica, one of the earliest uh, letters written to a church that's emerging in a city, um, this is reinforced. They needed to hear it. I believe we also uh, need to hear it as well. And so I am thrilled this morning to be joined by uh, Sarah McCullough, who is a mental health professional as well as a longtime member of Trinity Grace. Um, Sarah has uh, 17 years of experience as a licensed clinical social worker and also sees a full roster of clients as a therapist here in Brooklyn. Also just a great, great friend, a uh, longtime uh, you know, member of our church. And so, Sarah, first of all, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, it's uh, such an honor. Yeah, wonderful to have you, to, um, to be able to make time for this conversation. And we want to talk today about the challenges surrounding uh, mental health as we emerge from this pandemic. We're, we're, we've been in this series on the Holy Spirit, and and hoping not just to talk about the Holy Spirit as some 
you know, impersonal force out there that we sometimes feel as Christians, but actually a person that is, is relational and ministering to us in all the practical realities of our life. And um, it's impossible to ignore that we're coming, you know, in our section of the world out of the lockdown portion of this pandemic and we're confronting, um, you know, some of the aftermath of what we've just been through. So I want to start on a broad level. Uh, Many of us have grown up with a, a vision of, of Christian growth or what we may call discipleship that's big on things like learning through reading the Bible and attending church or trying not to sin. Um, but for some of us, this vision left out our body, our, you know, it left out our emotions, you know, taking seriously or contending with what we pick up from our family of origin, mm-hmm. our patterns and habits. And as a th- practicing therapist, do you see that? What's your experience with that in your in your life as a believer, but also in your in your practice? Yeah, it's it's really a, a, a powerful question you're asking because really in in what I'm I've learned from so many people is that what we learn about God and who we are in relationship to God growing up can be so different from the truth of who God says He is. Mm-hmm. And so often people can say, you know, I know I'm loved or I know, I, I know in my head that I'm cared for and I'm not alone. But why do I feel so unloved? Why do I feel so alone? And when there's that mismatch of our head and our heart, that is where it's so important for us to be paying attention to what's happening in our heart because it is our heart that leads us, even if we know all the answers in our head to be true. And so that, in that idea of what we learn in, in church growing up is often we want to be curious about religiosity versus relationship. Mm. And often we can be taught things about who God is and who we're supposed to be, yeah. which isn't even matching who God says that he is and who we are to him. And so it's often a relearning. Yeah. And what it requires is a relationship, three relationships, relationship with God, mm-hmm. relationship with self, and re- relationships with, with others. Yeah. And I think often in church we are taught, at least in my experience from what others have shared with me, is that we're taught to love others, but yeah. we're not taught so much to love ourselves. Hmm. And yet our good and loving Heavenly Father, who loves us so deeply that He sent His Son to die for us, yeah. Would of course want us to love ourselves deeply. Yeah. Because we're his creation and his children. And yet it seems to be common that that is a hard place for we as Christians uh, to, to feel to be true. Mm. That we, that it's important to love ourselves and that we do love ourselves. And in fact, sometimes we can feel like it's almost prideful or wrong yeah. to love ourselves. Huh. I wonder where that comes from. Is, is it like, um, you know, the people who are teaching us about God also are in charge of, you know, like directing our behavior. And so there's a mishmash that takes place of like, I want you to know these things about God, but I also need you to be in this place at this time and do what I want you to do. And so there's a, a mixture in the messages we're receiving from them. So it like somehow gets in that if we do the right thing, we get love. And if we do the wrong thing, we don't. Is that is that kind of what you're describing, or? Yeah, I think the answer to that is toxic shame. So okay. there's healthy shame and there's toxic shame, right? And healthy shame is kind of what we feel when the Holy Spirit talks to us, right? Yeah. Or our conscience tells us, "Oh, you messed up," yeah. and that's wrong. But under healthy shame, 
we can feel it to be true that we are lovable and we're worthy enough and we're good enough and all the things um, and we can make a mistake and it's okay. Yeah. Toxic shame says, I am my mistake. Hmm. Right? So I make right. a mistake and I'm a mistake. I do something bad so I'm bad. Yeah. Right? And it's this heaviness and this just this dark heaviness, right? Yeah. And it leads us uh, into bondage, right? Yeah. Because these misbeliefs are not the truth of who Christ says we are. Yeah. And yet it feels so true. Yeah. Right? That so, separation between I know in my head what I should think or feel, but like you're saying, we actually live from our, our heart or from our emotional lives or what we love. <laughs> what do we do about those dis- that disconnection? There's a huge gulf between those two things. Like yeah, that. it is. So just in, well, it's, a, it's not an easy answer, right? But the beautiful thing about us and who God created us to be is we're created to heal, Mm. right? Many years ago, we thought that the brain couldn't change. We thought we got our brain, we get our, we have trauma happen to us and that's just it. And sorry. Yeah. Good luck. But yeah, but good luck. (laughs) Yeah. And now we're realizing our brain has plasticity and it is created and designed to heal just like our bodies Mm. are created to, to heal. Right. And so in that beautiful hopefulness, that is kind of the answer of if we are designed to heal and live into the fullness and wholeness of who Christ has created us to be and when he breathed life into us, mm. had, uh, had that hope in mind that we would live in this fullness of the truth of our identity in Jesus Christ, that then this healing is his intention for us, yeah. right? And so we can be born into a family of origin, mm-hmm. but our identity doesn't lie there. Yeah. And where, where it begins to, begins to mix, mismatch is that we do begin to take on an identity from our family of origin. Good stuff and misbelief. Yeah. Right? And so if we're born and we come out of our mother and somebody holds us and says, oh my gosh, you're so beautiful and you're just so worthy and you haven't done a thing. <laughs> yeah, just for being there. You're just there. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And then life happens. Right. And life starts to put upon us from other people their shame onto us, right? Yeah. So a father can act shamefully by beating his child. Yeah. But the child holds the shame as, I know why dad beats me because I'm bad. Mm. I'm bad. That's why dad does that. Not yeah. dad's out of control and dad's uh, abusive. Yeah. And so to get through that situation, the child believes I'm bad to make sense of a senseless situation. Yeah. And they carry the shame of the father, right? Yeah. And then you grow up and you still are carrying that shame yeah. that happened so long ago. And it gets in the way of the truth of who Christ says you are. Yeah. I guess I'm trying to make sense some, some in my own experience, but also in what I've seen you know, on all these years in the church, that following Jesus gets moved over into this section of life that's about you know, attending a Bible study, going to church, great activities, mm-hmm. you know, like on their own, mm-hmm. um, you know, like trying, like I was saying, trying to resist doing bad things or sinning. But when you look at the stories in the scripture, they're like full-blooded, full life, full body, full emotion stories. I think even when you said about like that moment where, a, a, you know, a parent holds a child and like there's all this delight. Mm-hmm. When we meet Christ in the Gospels, before any of the miracles or any of the things we see, at his baptism, the father says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Yes. And none of the accomplishments of what's to come, even yes. you know, the cross, none of that. And it's just, but, it, but there's wet hair 
and there's a family celebration and it's like his body like and for lots of my life my following of Jesus felt like it fit in this one corner of like a particular type of learning a particular type of um, you know meeting attendance and then a particular type of trying to resist certain bad and you know impulses or something like that but our diet our exercise our conversations are you know maybe like seeing a therapist like all of these things impact our 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 life of health like do do you see um like what are the ways we can get you know this like life with god out of this little corner with only a few approved activities into a more of a holistic sense that this is this is my actual full real life mm-hmm. and so if there's life with the holy spirit it means it impacts everything yeah so, you know, I guess I would say two things about that. One is just that uh, in order to heal emotionally, yeah. there has to be a wound, right? Yeah. And if there's no wound, then there's nothing to heal. And so often what happens is we can be going along with life and have uh, excuses or, or uh, rationalizations around certain things, yeah. right? For example, growing up and having a parent treat you in a way that's not okay, and you saying, well, I know why they did that, because they had a hard life. I know why they did that. They were doing the best they could, right? And as soon as those things come up, which are true, it dismisses the fact that you were wounded by the experience, and then you can't heal, Mm. because there's no wound. Yeah. So often, in order to heal, we have to be able to say, yep, that's true. Let's have that step aside. Right. And let's see, what, it, what, what was it like for me as the six-year-old little person in that situation? Yeah. And begin to <clears throat> acknowledge and have compassion for the little person that experienced what they experienced with their six-year-old little brain, not understanding mom's story, not understanding where mom's coming from. Yeah. And then and only then can you heal. Right. Right? And, and then once the healing happens, then you can actually have compassion for the person who's hurt you. But if you put the compassion beforehand, mm. you can't heal because there's no wound. Yeah. So how do you bring this all into the fullness of who you are is to understand that it is all connected. And, you know, one of my uh, great uh, teachers of, of therapy would say to a Christian, have you given all of your life to Christ? Mm-hmm. When you're understanding that there's so much, yeah. your body, yeah. your wounds, your uh, your shame, yeah. your your critical thinking, yeah. have you given it to Christ? And then often people will be like, "Well, not really." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Like I'm just thinking, even right now as we're talking about, I have this memory of this the, the, like youth wing of my church I grew up in and there's this certain type of fluorescent light and the way it hit these tiles and all these like memories I have from it and I remember like the good well-intentioned teaching that I received there about the love of God and like all these stories but I was a troublemaking kid you know and so I also remember sort of like getting these messages of like you know kind of like you're always going to be like mm. pushing the envelope and kind of a, tr- a troublemaker and like both of those, you know, like came in these messages, and I felt like I've just kept them. I, I like, or or there was like there was an opportunity to keep those things separate, you mm-hmm. know, as opposed to actually, I probably need the troublemaker 
or you know, like the label of troublemaker and the love of God to me, you yes. know, in my life. Yes. Um, you know, <laughs> instead of like um, this is one thing and this is another, or like you know, God and His love and His feelings for us is over here, and then like actual the life with these people is here, yes. and they're actually they're actually this they're together in the same thing. Yes. Um, and if if we were in a session right now, what I would say to you is, could you describe to me instead of name calling? Through troublemaker, I'd say, could yeah. you describe to me that child? Yeah. Right? Because we put these labels on ourselves. Right. I was bad or I was a troublemaker. And people say that to us, yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah. then we take it on and we own it. Right. But when we can describe the person, it can create a lot more compassion towards the person. Yeah. It's funny. I didn't only have a negative response. I sort of like took a little bit of like pride in that or yeah. something like, you know, and so it can... It can it kind of cut both ways. It was, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, I, maybe I shouldn't be this, but I also sort of feel like this is me, you know, like, and, um, but it wasn't just me. And I really, you know, really wanted those tender moments of just being able to receive that, this astounding love. Like what we're describing in the Christian life is astounding. Like yes. the creator loves you beyond any, you know, ability to earn or, you know, like, you know, like, Whatever, just it's there. You're so loved. He's pursued us. It's life and death and resurrection. His very spirit can fill you. Um, and those are these profound mysteries. And then, like, it just meets these, like, places of our actual behavior, our actual relationships, our actual yes. trauma. And yes. I want to get into this a bit. You know, we've just been through this incredibly challenging year, a traumatic year. It's obviously not been the same for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um what as a therapist, what recommendations do you have for someone on on how to take stock of this past year, where they're at in their own mental and emotional health? What does it look like to uh, you know kind of emerge from this season? Yeah. So when COVID started, it was kind of like Godzilla was walking around, <laughs> stomping around, and everybody was wondering, "Is he going to hit my house? Right? Like, yeah. is this going to happen to me?" Yeah. So yes. <laughs> so scary, right. and and still happening in parts of the world, uh, and. Yeah. As soon as that threat of danger is real, which it was when COVID began, our nervous system begins to prepare to keep us safe. Mm. And so just like animals, our nervous system will go into fight, flight, freeze, or submit in order to help us stay safe. And what we've learned is that actually that fight, flight, freeze response in our nervous system feels like anxiety. Mm. It mirrors. They're They're the same. Yeah. In fact, I refer to anxiety as a hyperactive nervous system because that your nervous system's trying to get your attention that there's danger out there. Yeah. Right. And so lots of us have experienced a lot of heightened uh, hyperactive nervous system and some have gone into hypoactive nervous system where it's like I can't even fight so I'm just going to submit to this whole yeah. crazy Godzilla thing going on out there. I feel like I've done that in the same day. Yes. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it's exhausting. Because right. our nervous system is overworking because to get your attention for danger, it's created only to do it when the tiger's chasing you, mm-hmm. not day in and day out for right. a year and many months. Every time I walk into a store yes. or leave my apartment. Yes, yeah. yes. And so we're all exhausted, but that response is completely normal because there was danger and our body was letting us yeah. know that, right? <laughs> That picture of Godzilla stomping around is so real. It just is like there's this thing out there. We don't know what it is. We don't know how to control it. We don't know how bad it's going to get. And it could could get your family. And it could mean literally nothing or it could mean like your life is threatened. Right. 
like it's yeah. just so wild. It's yeah, yeah. So what does it mean if we've been through that as a like one person gets chased by the tiger and they have that fight or flight or yeah. the submit. And what does it mean for us to have been through that all together? Even though we all experience it differently, we've just all been through through this. Are there going to be like unique experiences that because we did this as a, as a whole community? So I think it's going to be an individual, but, uh, but it, it, the trauma kind of brings us all together too in a yeah. shared experience, right? It's almost like kind of going to war and mm. being in a war together with your buddies. Yeah. Everybody has their own individual experience, but when right. they come back, the dust settles. Yeah. They know they've all been through that together and mm. they can understand things that might not even be said. Yeah. It's right? like a shorthand with our experience. Yeah. Yeah. However, the, the impact now is what we want to be curious about, yeah. right? Is that now that things are beginning to scientifically be safer, yeah. that doesn't mean that our body is going to match that. Right. Right? Our body still might feel like the, that Godzilla is still out there. Mm. And so I guess what I want to give people is just that it's whatever your response is, yeah. it's normal. Hmm. And to go back to where we began earlier of having the mind and the body respond differently yeah. would be normal, right? Why do I know that I'm safe and I f my body is going berserk right now, feeling yeah. like I'm not safe? Yeah. And that it would make sense for us to be compassionate towards that body response and mm. say, yeah, of course my body is doing that. Yeah. I know I'm safe here, but my body feels like I'm back when Godzilla was walking around actively. Yeah. We've been seeing a little bit in our home, you know, like we've basically taken a similar type of trip to see family like every summer, you know, that we've been married, you know, so it's been many, many years of the same. But this year, the logistics and details feel like there's extra layers on them or something like there's um, residue of stress attached to like we, you know, to the planning and um you know, just, just noticing that. So what do we do if we're in that place where we, we're struggling to get what we believe or we should believe um, in our head to be the experience of our actual selves and body? Like, I think it's really important to be patient and yeah. to be compassionate, to yeah. bring it back to that relationship with yourself, mm -hmm. to say, of course you feel this way. And yeah. not to try to say, don't feel this way, and not yeah. to try to shame it, and not to say, get over it. Right. Just meet yourself right where you're at mm -hmm. and say, of course I feel this way. I've just been experiencing uh, uh, elongated trauma for, for over you know, yeah. a year and a half. Yeah. How, how would I not be feeling this right now in my body? Yeah. Really, yeah. right? And I also want to speak to people who have experienced a lot of isolation during this time. Yeah. Um, that, you know, we are created to be in community. That's yeah. who God has created us to be. And we are designed to live together. And we have just been placed in isolation. Yeah. And yet uh, we are adaptive creatures, and so we can adapt to isolation, which many of us have mm -hmm. adapted to it. And yet it is also important to note that that is used as the highest form of punishment in prison is isolation. <laughs> Yeah. And now there's fight against that highest form of uh, punishment because it, it, it um, really affects mental health of people to be isolated. Wow. Yeah. 
We've all been in solitary. We all, we've all been in solitary. Yes. Yeah, with our sweats and Netflix, but solitary. That's right. That's right. And so sometimes for some people, it's going to feel dangerous to go back out into connection. Hmm. Yeah. Because we've adapted to isolation. And even though it's not who we are designed to be, we've had to adapt to it. Yeah. And so to go back out into normalcy of connection is going to feel uncomfortable for some people. And again, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. It makes sense. Hmm. So, so not to push it and not to force it and not to shame yourself, but to say, of course I feel this way. Yeah. I feel my heart asking, you know, for myself, for my kids, for my friends, for our community, how do I remind myself that I have this, this unconditional love from God and let that be my, the truest thing about me? And how do I remind myself that I'm made for this deep connection with other people? Like, if something feels like it's disrupting one of those two things. Yeah. I, what comes to me is something that's simple and really difficult, which is to be still and know that he's God. Mm-hmm. So in those times, instead of frantically trying to come up with something cognitively, if it's a possibility to sit still Mm -hmm. and to sit and know that he's God and just to be curious about that phrase, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. To sit still and to know that he's God and just see what comes up when you sit with that. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's also coming to my mind that the Holy Spirit has to be involved in this process you know i think about jesus telling the disciples the holy spirit's going to come to you as an advocate as a comforter as a reminder of all the things i've said to you so it's not even just me with my like religiosity holding on to you know something god said but the holy spirit comes and ministers that very thing to me and maybe maybe what the connection of those two is in the stillness Mm -hmm. the spirit can speak you know in a way i can hear that's Um, right but it's not easy, as yeah. we know, yeah. to sit still. Yeah. I, I think about moments of real anxiety in my life where I was ramped up all the way to the point of panic. Yes. And then, you know, sort of like inky black depressed moments in my life. And mm-hmm. and stillness in either one of those two times. I mean, there's like a lethargy sometimes in the, the, the more sad moments. But um, just a stillness where I'm you know, receiving from the Holy Spirit, it feels like a, like a challenge in both of those spaces. How do you talk about that with people who come in to see you? Yeah. So it's active stillness is what I refer to it as. Yeah. And it's really uncomfortable. Yeah. So the word I use all the time is sit in the discomfort mm-hmm. and know that it's uncomfortable, that it's discomfort, yeah. but you're not going to die. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it can feel that intense. It can feel as intense as I'm going to die if I sit in this discomfort any longer. Yeah. And so the idea is if you can just dip your toe in the stillness and feel mm-hmm. that discomfort just for a minute and then maybe you dip out again. Yeah. Little by little, it can feel a little bit less uncomfortable to mm. sit with. I remember you know, my first experiences with you know, really ramped up anxiety and pa- and panic attacks just feeling like Oh, I got to get out of this place. I got to get. I got to be walking. I got to be moving. I got to be talking. I need to be calling someone. I need to be like getting, you know, just like ah, urgently trying to get help. And as the years went on, and I, I, I guess this process was taking place, even if I didn't know what to call it, um, I did come to a place where those same 
initial anxious feelings weren't this, they weren't as much of a surprise to me as they had been in the first iterations. And that was actually somewhat of a comfort. To, yeah. You know, like this thing can happen. Yeah. You know, and I, I did make it through. Like all those yeah. thoughts that said you're going to die, they didn't end up being true. Yes. Um, so they're not always true. At least That's just right. they're not always true was a That's big right. deal for me. Like they're yeah. not always true. And then learning to come come back to some things that are always true. Yes. <laughs> you know, like God. That is right. God really does love you. And yes. God like thought the world would be missing something if you weren't here. You know, that kind of thing. Just like to soak your heart in that type mm-hmm. of love. Um, I'm so grateful for you coming in. I'm holding on to so many of the things you said, the Godzilla thing and um, you know that we that isolation is a you know it's it's like a punishment and and we were talking before uh, about the way this even plays out in the animal world where you know you're fully in that you know fight or flight or fight or flight mode and then can you say, you just say more about what that that experience is like in the animal world? Yeah, so we learned uh, we've learned about trauma and how it how we hold it in our bodies from animals that have been preyed upon. And so, for example, a deer, when the deer runs away from the predator and actually gets away and knows that it's safe enough, it will fall on the ground and shake for quite some time. And what it's doing is it's shaking its trauma out of the near-death experience so that it then stands up, walks off, and lives its life as though that never happened. Just gets rid of it. It just releases. Wow. Whereas we humans, when trauma happens to us, we do not shake it out, and it continues like a hamster wheel going around and around in our bodies so that when we live in our present life and something feels similar to the moment that we actually experience trauma, it feels as though we're back there again to our body because yeah. our body doesn't know the difference between the past and the present. Yeah. And so it just experiences it again. Hmm. However, because of who Christ has created us to be as beings that are created to heal, we can heal from the trauma so that we can live into the fullness and wholeness of who we've been created to be by him. Mm. Yeah. And a lot of that is with the sitting still. Yeah. It's the opposite of what we would think, right? Yeah. Because you were describing in, in the heightened anxiety that you felt you were looking over here and going over here and talking to this person and doing something, please make it go away. Yeah, anything. <laughs> yes. And as you went on your healing journey, it sounds like what you realized is that when it came up, you could just distance yourself a bit and say, oh, there's that, there's that feeling again. Yeah. I'm okay because my feet are on the ground. Yeah. And right now there's no danger mm-hmm. and I'm okay. Yeah. And, oh, I felt the beginning of this. I know where this can lead, but I know it doesn't have to lead there. Yeah. I remember looking, I remember writing down a list of all the things I had felt afraid of in the last day <laughs> and then going back and reading it and being like, you know what? I'm not actually like, I'm not actually afraid of these things. Yeah. I just felt afraid of That's these right. things. Yes. And that was, you know, imp- important. So sitting and reading our, our Bible, spiritual practice, but yeah. going for a walk or a run, mm-hmm. <laughs> spiritual practice, mm-hmm. you know, eating a good meal, spiritual practice, you know, um, talking like with it. a therapist, sp- spiritual practice, you know, that... What do you think about just broadening our understanding of, of, you know, like 
building a plan for ourselves. You know, uh, uh, we have physical fitness plan, but like a mental health plan, like and seeing that there, this all this is connected. Yeah, I mean, kind of to support what you said, as God has created us, He's created us so intricately and beautifully, mm-hmm. and there's so many beautiful parts of who we are. And I think sometimes we're not able to know all those parts because we categorize or don't get to know parts of who we are and yeah. only work with a couple parts that feel comfortable enough. Mm. And so I guess my if there were two words people could kind of take away from today, it would be yeah. to be curious and to notice. Mm. And so in that practice that you're describing, to be curious about what is, when do I feel really good? Yeah. Uh, when do I feel more whole and full? Because those are indicators of you kind of walking yeah. in the truth of who Christ has created you to be and do more of that. Like yeah. whatever it is, if it's Where connecting with life. a person yeah. or walking or whatever, right? Um, there's eight C words that I wanted to share with you that are part of the true self. I love alliteration. I love eight <laughs> C words. I'm so pumped about this. <laughs> they are not mine. There's a chance I'll remember them because they are all C's. <laughs> well, I, I still can't. Um, <laughs> that's why I got to read them. But uh, they're, they're from somebody that I've learned a lot from through IFS, and his name is Dick Schwartz. And anyway, he, 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 he claim, takes the fame of these, these eight C's. When you feel calm, that is a part of you stepping into the truth of who you are. Mm. When you're curious instead of critical, mm. huh, let me just kind of notice that and wonder about that instead of what would you do there, yeah. right? Mm. Clarity instead of cloudiness. So when you're feeling clear versus cloudy, you can know that that you are connected to your true. Compassion, both for yourself and for others. Where you don't have to fix anything for anybody, but you can have compassion for them and for yourself too. Don't have to fix anything, just have compassion. And that really is important in this whole journey of of COVID and recuperating from COVID, is just having compassion for wherever you're at in this healing journey from this trauma. Yeah. Confidence, when you can stand tall, strong, and confident in the truth of who you are as the Son of God, heirs with Christ Jesus, you can know you're standing in the truth of who you are, and you can feel confident in that. Courage, Mm. courage doesn't mean that you're not feeling a little nervous. In fact, it means you are. Right, and you're still going forward. (laughs) And you're still going forward. Yeah. So courage is also something versus fear. Creativity is part of the truth of who we all are, even those like me who would yeah. say, I'm not an artist. It doesn't have anything to do with that, Yeah. right? It's the creativity of how Christ has created you to be and mm. who are you in that expression of creativity. I feel like there's such a blend of the, the clarity and confidence and creativity. That was, whatever that space is in my soul, and I think in many of our lives, that's where it felt like COVID f- felt the heaviest. Yeah. It like... It was squeezing mm. out creativity yeah. and squeezing out clarity. It was like everything is uncertain. I can't make anything. Yeah. I'm just like doing the next thing in front of me and that's all I can really get to. Like all that extra like this idea connects to this idea. Those leaps weren't being made. It was just like one thing at a time. Um, well, I think because we were in survival mode. Yeah. We and were that's... just making sure we stayed safe. Yeah. And if we go back to the nervous system and even to the brain, survival is connected to the most primitive part of the brain and when we're surviving or if we feel like we're surviving all the rest of our brain goes away probably not writing poetry no (laughs) can't write poetry and run from the tiger (laughs) yeah yeah that makes sense when you say it like that and the last one is connectedness 
Yeah. That's a true part of who we are. Yeah. And again, no shame if that's something that feels dangerous right now. Yeah. It makes sense. Mm -hmm. And yet, little by little, it will become something that feels a little safer because it is the truth of who we are. I'm going to hold on to that, being still and being curious and, you know, paying attention with an uncritical voice yeah. to what I find in myself. Mm-hmm. It's so easy. Oh, you're just mm-hmm. behind or not organized enough or not, you know, not on top of it and, you know, should have gotten this for the kids in advance. And Here's a good thing to remember. If you say should to yourself, yeah. chances are it's connected to shame. Mm-hmm. You're trying to shame yourself into better action next time? Like, what are we doing with that? (laughs) Yeah, but basically it just feels not good. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've shared a lot of wisdom with us. I'm so grateful for who you are and for your practice and for your place in our church, your family's place in our church. It's been such a blessing for many, many years. Um, To our church family, I just want to say to you, we love you. Uh, We want to support you wherever you are in this journey of coming out of this pandemic. And um, there are resources available for help. If you are in uh, feeling a particular need for help, just know that's completely normal. And we would love to help you get in touch with um, you know, some resources that, that, that can assist in this process of reemerging and healing and getting back to life after lockdown. But I hope that you'll come away from this conversation today knowing that um, the love of God is not um, up for grabs in your life. It is uh, a a real, stable, true reality. It is connected to your deepest identity as an image bearer, um, but even beyond that as someone Christ has come for, uh, for redemption, for salvation, for for healing and freedom. Uh, That's what God longs for us to experience. And the Holy Spirit is our advocate, our comforter, our guide, the one who reminds us of the truest things about us. And so Mm -hmm. um, the Holy Spirit is, is, um, as we say often, not just a a force we occasionally feel in our favorite songs, but is someone to remind us in our anxious moments, our sad moments, our low moments, our lonely moments, who we really are. Mm -hmm. And you're not alone, church. Let's not do this alone. Let's take care of one another and love one another well in this in this season. It's a unique moment in our experience as human beings. And um, and Sarah, I feel like you've helped give some great language today and some great tools. So I uh, really appreciate uh, you know all that you've said. And um, as we move into the next parts of our service, I, I, let's maybe even make a few moments of stillness to ask how the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Where are you really at? Where do you need to receive the love of God today? Mm.